This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Father. Uh, I was just about to text you to find out. Because normally yeah. some of the calls. Yeah, anyway. How are you doing? Yeah, somehow I didn't, wasn't set up COVID. Good. Just got back from vacation. We're still uh, recovering. Yeah. And getting back into so some of things. It was good. It was uh, pretty quiet. We had uh, uh, went, spent a lot of time at the beach, did a little hike, uh, went on a Surrey bike ride. Um, bike ride? Yeah, so they have these like uh, multi-person bikes, like where they have uh, four wheels yeah. and multiple yeah. sets of pedals. So we did a six-person yeah. bike ride oh. like that. Oh, they had a six-person? Okay. Was, <laughs> yeah, so that was exciting. Hmm. And then uh, we had a little drama. Did they do it? We did. <laughs> we had a uh, we had like a two-mile hike, which had a little bit more up and down and less shade than we had expected. So Papa mm. got a little faint, and we had to stop halfway through and uh, take oh. a break, and mm. then take a shortcut back. But mm. it all worked out. Okay. And um, the earthquake was anywhere near where you were, or no? I had not heard anything about an earthquake, so I have no idea. <laughs> oh. Whatever happened was not very serious. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Because there was a big earthquake south of Lake Tahoe, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, we were in, yeah, on the coast. So, mm -hmm. did they do any boogie boarding? Yeah, kids. Uh, and we bought a boogie board, so we now have two. And they spent uh, a good two hours on Wednesday in probably fairly probably cold water. Oh, really? I thought it would have been I mean, warmer it was, it was, than what it was in Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah, definitely warmer than Santa Barbara than it was in April. Um, mm. So it was. I found it cold, but the kids. They uh, I could handle like a half hour of it, and then I gave up. But they kept going, so they had fun. They would even try to catch the same wave and then high five each other on their way in, which was impressive. Oh, wow! Wow! Do you have a picture of that? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. 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 You want to do oh. the book? Yes, do the thing. So we are at uh, chapter uh, eight. It is right. Yeah. Yeah, so lots oh, of revelations. Yeah, see, um, they both uh, basically um, in this chapter, in the seventh chapter, um, he kills Mr. Black. Right, so Winton is the descendant of Angelo Dinegri, actually yeah. back revved up from version eight to version six. Yeah. And he's uh, apparently able to kill Mr. Black, who appears to be the family's longtime nemesis. Um, yeah. With the help of Glenda Glynn. Yeah, and he ends up in, in the beginning of chapter eight. He says he was the missing clone. I mean, the missing clone part came only a couple of chapters ago. It was not there before. So now the problem with that is, what about the guy named Sailor? Was he the missing clone? No, Sailor was. So just to, just to kind of give a quick review of how we got here. So there yeah. was a man named Angelo Denegri who was a 20th century hitman who was revived by his descendants in a world of teleportation and space travel. And he gets sent by his descendants to kill this guy, Siler, who seems to be a business rival. But in the process, at the same time, there's this massive interplanetary war going on, which appears to be destroying civilization. 
And so humanity uh, it takes refuge in these houses, which are linked via teleporters to different planets. And then Siler, as he's dying, sort of bequeaths all his technology to Angelo. And Siler was the uh, Hamlet figure who could see everything bad that was going to happen, but lacked the uh, resolution of will to do anything. And Angel Denegri is sort of the man obsessed to the point of de determined to the point of obsession with uh, his point of view, who ends up, um, you know, takes decisive action, even though it seems to be all destructive. And so Angelo ends up uh, sort of uh, using silent technology to kill off parts of himself and with each generation trying to evolve himself to be a more humane uh, version. Kind of gentler. And then he's also trying, kind of gentler version while trying to do the same thing to humanity, you know, in the hopes of A, teaching them how to house these, uh, these different wings on different planets that sort of one human society without uh, violence, without murder, and things like that. Um, but then there's this nemesis, Mr. Black, who seems determined to kill uh, this family of clones that's trying to just, you know, keep the peace and help humanity evolve. Yeah. And so, but then we find out that Mr. Black, and so, you know, every generation they have different clones and they do this partial suicide to erase undesirable portions of their memories or their personality. Uh, but then one of the clones went missing. And then no, but even, even when they do that, even when they do yeah. that, they still just plug it into a pin. I mean, pull the pin back, you get it back. Yeah, so it's right. reversible, uh, except for the first pin, which is soldered in. But yeah, so what we find out is that this nemesis, Mr. Black, appears to be also somehow a descendant of Angelo de Negri. Um, and, you know, there's this thing they call a mesh, which they use to share memories across the clones. And then when the nexus, sort of the, the elder dies, that personality gets transferred to uh, a new clone and they have to sort through that and kind of figure out who they want to be. And then they supposedly, you know, erase those memories and push in a new pin, except that yeah. Paul Karab decided to pull out uh, two pins and revive Winton with version six. And then um, Winton kills Mr. Black, but then Mr. Black says, ha, that's kind of what I wanted you to do. And yeah. then, so I still don't know eight. why he said that. I still don't know. Why well, okay, because at the beginning of chapter eight, uh, Mr. Black tries to mesh and take over um, Winton. So you can sort of yeah, think but of, if, like, how would he do that if he died? How will he how will he do it if he was killed? Because whenever you kill a clone of Angelo Denegri, the nexus passes to the next oldest clone. Yeah, but but Black was not a nexus. He was. That's the whole point. He was a, he was sort of an anti-nexus. Is that okay. Black? So the idea is that Black uh, was also a clone of Angelo Denegri. Yeah, but uh, see, all along, anytime one of the clones die, uh, the nexus feels it. Right. And when the nexus dies, then it goes to the next. Person in next line, next, next right? Clone in line, yeah. 
So right. that's and, why I couldn't figure it out why Black dies. Um, then if he was part of this group, then um, if, he, if he's not the Nexus, Winton or, or Carab, whoever it is, will continue to be, they'll feel it, but they won't uh, right. give up their power. But anyway, right, but, but it looks yeah, like but the, he didn't die completely either. No, he did. So he died the way that... Yeah, so what happened was, is, uh, I mean, the, the implication, and we'll know more details about this later, is that Mr. Black is actually an older sibling. He's actually an older version. And so one thing we noticed is that, like, when, when Karab pulled pin six, the pin six personality went in the older, darker, richer personality took over yeah. from Karab. And this was yeah. a very controversial thing, and it was kind of embarrassed by it. And it was very awkward. So the implication uh, is that Mr. Black, because um, Mr. Because Winton or one of his predecessors killed uh, the original Mr. Black, but then there was this missing clone. Yeah. Um, or at least they think they stopped him or whatever. And so somehow, the implication is that Mr. Black is actually uh, an earlier version, or an elder sibling somehow. And therefore, mm-hmm. um, you know the the um, the Winton line, you know the the good guys, if you will, mm-hmm. you know the who would you know the the family that's sort of shaping humanity. They're one branch, but apparently there's another branch, which is the black branch. We'll call yeah. them the white hats and the black hats, if you will. And um, for whatever reason, um, they seem to follow similar rules, but not quite the same way. Um, but regardless, when he dies, he's not able to take over from Winton, but uh, so Winton resists the meshing, where the sort of the souls or spirits or memories or whatever, or personalities fight. So he can resist it, uh, but that he's very much afraid the other clones currently at Wing Null will not be able to resist Mr. B- Mr. Black's takeover and meshing. Yeah. So that's why he has gone and killed. Uh, he has gone and killed uh, those two people there. Um, right. So we, Winkle, so we find out that Mr. Black took over one of them and then killed the other two. Oh, I see. He took over one of them. I didn't get that part. Okay. I know yeah, he so killed that's the other two. Yeah, but, oh. but so he had to. He had to find a body, right? So the spirit of Mr. Black meshes with one of them. And then kills the other two. Yeah, so that's the. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now it makes sense. So, so then the, the Glenda comes, and then um, he's explaining a little bit of the things. So, uh, he's dead, but he's not dead. And but I, he doesn't explain that he has uh, taken over one of these groups' mm-hmm. body. But I didn't get that. So anyway, but you mm-hmm. know, it looks like you know, again, everybody is uh, good or bad. And from Glenda's point of view, Mr. Black was good to her. He was he was like a mentor to her, and he even was teaching her classics and all these things, with the name of uh, Henry Ibon. All right, Ibon, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, E-I-B-O-N, like Ibon, E-B-O-N is another word for black, of course. Oh, really? Another one of oh. these puns, yeah. Ebony, right? Oh. Huh? Ebony, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Got a play on words, okay. Oh, that's where the ebony comes from. Okay, so but but he 
still keeps um, she goes with him in spite right. of that and we still don't know why he didn't allow black to kill uh, carab or, or winter or whatever um so they keep you know he keeps asking her uh, tell me why is he uh, trying to kill us and things like that and mm-hmm. finally she's uh, basically she's saying you want to keep people in the house by force mm-hmm. uh, and he didn't like the black apparently didn't like that but he says no we're not forcing them but she says of course you're forcing them you're not allowing them to go out and he said they can go out any time but when they're ready and of course she says why not now and so they keep uh, arguing about it and then the, uh, another voice comes in jordan's voice come in comes in and this is what we you and i talked about quite a bit you know mm-hmm. uh, the, the civilization was going downhill anyway and so this, uh, according to the the negris people the only way to prevent it is by basically brainwashing them brain you know brainwashing lobotomizing lobotomizing yeah, that's a, the word yeah, yeah. basically a, a different kind of lobotomy but uh, to make them peaceable and kinder and gentler yeah and so she she says uh, but will he still be human uh, yeah uh, but then finally she asked the question what gives you the right to make all these judgments and of course he says someone has to do it mhm and but at the same time you know, i mean if he can make the decision black can make the decision too right yeah he's got well, the exact well, opposite view of things yeah so uh this guy you know uh, but uh, this is jordan doing the arguing so apparently you know he was not convincing glenda and then finally uh winton takes over get me behind me jordan yeah, yeah. i know it's all personal uh, demons yeah yeah so then um he says shall i call you engel <laughs> Right, because that was who she first met was Engel. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he mentioned the uh, word lobotomizing here. He felt it was lobotomizing the race, turning people into vegetables. And that yeah. if they finally did make it outside, they would be in no condition to survive. Yeah. So our disagreement then is too basic for argument since it centers on a matter of interpretation. So it talks about. Uh, keeps talking to glenda and mm-hmm. uh, then obviously uh, he says what did he tell you about himself about his background nothing she says and she says you're lying and she shrugged mm-hmm. so uh, she says, i don't understand where this is going but uh, um, so she says what if i were to scream what if i were to refuse to accompany you any further he said mm-hmm. you will not you will come without causing any difficulty uh, why because you are curious so mm-hmm. uh, they keep talking so um then um he feels something he collapses against the wall mm-hmm. and she catches him 
and I think it's probably because uh, Mr. Black just murdered two more people. Right. So yeah, he says so. Um, they keep uh, going. So he says we need to go to uh, Wing Null. So they mm-hmm. go there. They go to the level of the chapel. And, well, um, so here's the line. Yeah, page one thirty nine of my book. It says it was Gene and mm-hmm. Jenkins who had died. Winkle. Yeah. Who had yielded mm-hmm. to Black's personality assault? So Black okay. is now in Winkle's body. Okay, yeah, that I didn't get it, but didn't you told me? Yeah. So, um, so he says that he wanted to say, "What was it that you wanted to tell me when you invited me to your place as I lay dying?" With I think he was mm-hmm. somebody else at the time. He was Engel, um, yeah, at the time. Yeah. Oh, so it was it Engel? Okay. Yeah. So um, that's the guy who was running around, and then finally he exploded or something. Yeah. So, uh, but then now, now he's saying that uh, you are a professor in engineering. <laughs> yeah. All kinds of stuff. Um, so he wants to say all these things, but he doesn't. He knows that yeah, she was lying about all sorts of things. Yeah. And he's still unclear on, like, is she trying to help him? Is she trying to kill him? Is she trying to Help black yeah, why is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is she cooperative? Why is she accompanying him? Like, whose side so, is she on? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so then they go through and um, go through the chapel, and then um, he has trouble opening up the, the door, and they both go in there, and the door closes behind them. And I think they're now they are in wing now. So they're landing in wing now. That's where it ends. It's the very end of chapter eight. Yeah. So there's one other yeah. scene there. I was skimming through. It was it, remember there was a thing about a scene about a little boy who was going up the down escalator or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Up the down tube, and he That's says it, yeah. um, he wonders about that boy, and he says I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder what had become of the little boy who liked to run in the wrong direction. In my mind's eye, I saw him standing mm-hmm. before an enormous hole in the wall, turning to stick out his tongue than racing on through and out across a starlit field. Mm. And kind of the, the implication I got from that is that the, it's funny, uh, we've been watching the Disney Plus series Loki, mm. um, you know, who's kind of the, the villain of the Avengers comics. And he's sort of turning okay. into a good guy, although it's not clear. But one of his points mm. is that it, uh, every culture has sort mm. of a, a trickster, an agent of chaos to kind of balance mm. the forces of order and rule. And, you know, there's kind of, you know, the implication is very much that Winton's project is trying to eliminate the chaotic, the mischievous, the antisocial. And uh, Mr. Black's argument is, well, no, actually, that is essential for us to be fully human. If we get rid of that sort of imp of the perverse, that rebellious spirit, we actually could only survive in carefully controlled environments and we become unfit to actually exploring, adventuring, risking, and conquering uh, the actual real world out there. That another thing is uh, you become vulnerable to any, but you know, I mean, it's kind of strange, right? I mean, you always two sets of coin. This is where we talk about, right? You know, why did God allow evil to happen, right? God yeah. created a world without evil, right? So, but you cannot do one without the other is what the answer normally given. Right. Right. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the way that I look at it, um, mm. 
is, and it's funny that we're, we're doing another Discipling by Jesus uh, about, uh, if you saw the text about this, but on the 18th, we're doing a topic on Moses overcoming God's anger, the scene where mm. God apparently has had enough of the children of Israel, wants to destroy them and create a new race based on Moses. And Moses uh, disobeys God and stands up and intercedes for the children of Israel. And so God yeah. doesn't destroy them. It's a very strange passage yeah. in a lot of ways. But right. one of the things that, that comes along with that, uh, that I've been thinking a lot about, is uh, the human race wasn't created for comfort. It wasn't created for predictability. It was created, I think, for glory, right? That mm. we could learn to be sons of God mm. and know him and become like him. And that is, um, uh, and this idea of redemptive grace, the, the human race was created to demonstrate the glories of redemption. Mm. And that's why uh, we have a choice to, to, to do evil. We have a chance to try to ignore and step aside and avoid the issue. But we also have a choice to try and do the redemptive thing. And the idea that that is a um, sufficiently valuable glory that it is worth all the pain and suffering and evil is in some sense the the central paradox of Christianity. Right, um, right. And, and it's interesting because they, they, well, yeah, I mean, they run into it here even if they don't resolve it. He, God created angels to worship him and things like that. And even there, apparently things didn't go the way. One third rebelled. Yeah. So they also had the capacity to rebel. So then the human beings are created uh, with a capacity to go wayward or become sinful. So, yeah, we'll never know. Okay. <laughs> but... Uh, okay. Well, so, we don't know. We may. Who knows? Maybe we'll figure it out. Uh, maybe not the front end of this series, but. Uh, okay. It, so it, you it, want it, us it, to it, come it, yeah. on the 18th? You want us to join? Uh, you? Certainly, you're invited to. Like this wasn't specifically created uh, because of our conversation. This is based mm -hmm. on some other issues, but it's it's um, the interestingly the backstory on that, which is interesting is that my friend Robbie has been having a lot of uh, trauma with his family, which has been right. uh, documented right. and shared on the, on the podcast and other contexts uh, over an inheritance. And you know, it's almost no, very Shakespearean in some ways. Yeah. Um, and so he says that, but the thing that struck him is that, as, you know, now that this things are sort of wrapping up, he's really struck by the fact that uh, he, you know, he's a, he's a missionary. He's run mission agencies. He's got a deep heart for people who are lost and wanting to you know, make great sacrifices in order to help them be reconciled to God. And he's just been struck by the fact that he doesn't feel that same way about his extended family. Mm. You know, it's really hard for him to really want to exert himself uh, on behalf of people he feels that, you know, really been treating him unfairly and unjustly. Mm. Um, and he realizes he's trapped in a paradox because yeah. part of him professionally is committed to the idea that everyone is worth redeeming and saving, but personally, mm. it's just really hard for him to, uh, come to grips with that. And so he's been uh, fascinated by the story in Exodus 32, um, 
where Moses, you know, basically says, you know, hey, please forgive this people, but if not, blot me out, because I'd rather, you know, be cursed with them than saved without them. Right. And and this issue of who do we identify with? There's another line in here which makes me think about that is that um, what um, uh, haunts Winton, if we can call mm-hmm. him that, is that mm-hmm. like he doesn't really know who Black is or what he wants or why. Mm-hmm. And his great fear is that like if Black succeeds in stuffing him out, uh, mm-hmm. he may never know. And it makes him think that at the very beginning of chapter eight, Winton resists the merge, the meld. Oh, that's that would, what the, oh, good, okay. Right, because so Mr. Black, the reason he died was because his spirit or whatever could then take over Winton or one of the clones, one of the other clones. And, you know, Winton doesn't want to lose that because he doesn't want to lose autonomy, agency, his identity to Mr. Black. But on the other hand, without losing that, it's not clear if he'll ever understand what Mr. Black is or wants. And there's this, you know, it's funny, actually, this is actually at the heart of a lot of issues I've been dealing with, Mm -hmm. is on the one hand, you want to have empathy for other people. You want to understand them. You want to know what they're feeling. You want to um, be there for them, right? On the other hand, you also want to be yourself. You want to maintain your identity, your autonomy, your own narrative. And in a lot of conflicts, I find those two are intention. Like I could just stay here and passively let other people say what they think and believe. But then I kind of feel like I'm losing my individuality because I'm being swallowed by their narrative and vice versa. And this real uh, hard problem of how do we maintain our individuality in community? It's a, it's a constant theme that keeps coming up. It was a, an issue in my previous podcast with my friend Ernest, and that um, like we want people to behave in pro-social ways to get along with their community, feel like they are part of their community. But on the other hand, the easiest way to do that is just by surrendering your individuality and becoming like a cult where you're just following a leader uh, mindlessly. And that doesn't seem healthy either. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, uh, someone called it the problem of the one and the many. It's kind of a classic problem in philosophy and do the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many or vice versa. And either answer seems to lead to disaster, right? If everyone's every man for themselves and there's no community, you know, you know, there's no love, there's no relationships, there's no togetherness, there's no sacrifice. Uh, you know, that's anarchy, but the opposite is autarky, where there's only one will and everyone has to submerge the Borg in popular culture and Star Trek is like, we're all just one hive mind. None of us actually matter at all. That's not healthy either. Um, and, but, you know, this is the tension that Black and uh, Winton or Jordan, let's say, are arguing about. Jordan says, you know, hey, the important thing is we all got to learn to live together or we'll destroy each other. Um, but Mr. Black is saying, no, you know, it's not worth the price. If we suppress all of our variation and individuality, we become less than human and we become vulnerable to things outside this narrow artificial environment we're currently in. And, you know, the interesting thing about this story is, um, 
like at this point in particular, it's really hard to say, uh, you know, like everybody's critique seems fair of what the other guys are doing, right? Like, yeah. I feel like Mr. Black is right that there's something really uh, dastardly about lobotomizing the human race. But I feel like Jordan is right, like, you know, hey, these people really, you know, nearly killed each other. And, uh, you know, they need some adult supervision to keep them from, and he's accomplished the miraculous thing of creating a society without murder, without uh, violence, without factions, where all of humanity is actually getting along. And it seems, um, you know, cruel and heartless to uh, destroy that. But anyway, the... No, but the thing is, I mean, but it's all paradoxical because Black, even up to this point, without knowing this other part, he was going about his point of view with violence too, with killing people and forcing well, them. But to, actually, to here's the funny thing about that though. Who was Black but, killing? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, it matters. No, it does. Going back to the same thing we talked about. But, but let me, the let me not justify the means. But let me not justify the means. But let me point out mm. the debate that they had at the beginning when Mr. Black first surfaced was killing off the family. Um, I think um, Land Sr. said, well, don't you do the same thing? Goes, no, that's just partial suicide. We're just killing off a part of ourselves. Right, that's what, what you know, but, but but here's the point though, is that mm. in retrospect, so is Black. He is just killing off parts of himself. And the line between Black killing off one of his clones versus, you know, Land killing off early versions himself is all kind of muddy because they're all the same family. They're all just killing off different yeah, parts of themselves. Yeah, but they didn't know that at that time though. At that time, well, Black may have they known, do. But yeah, black But all along, they're using different means to achieve their purpose, the violent means, or the, shall I say, within quotation, the wrong way of eliminating your opposition. Right, and so when we talked about how, you know, the best you can hope for in some ways is that you're authentic, you're doing to yourself what you would do to others. So in that sense, you know... No, um, no, no I mean, it's like saying, I can be wrong, but I can be sincerely wrong. It's okay. <laughs> but no, but, no, but, but uh -huh. the point is that, like, we talked about this before, uh, the, the, kind of with the heart of the Siler versus Angelo, Othello versus Hamlet. It's like, okay, to take any actions at all is to kind of get your hands dirty because there are no actions without consequences and no perfectly just actions, right? And um, one could argue the biggest complaint that you can lodge against the family is that they are unaccountable to anyone outside them. They're all pursuing their own secret agendas, right? Both okay. Mr. Black and the family. And, you know, it feels um, in a sense, um, um, that, you know, Black, the only thing Black is doing, as far as we can tell, Black has never harmed anyone else who's not a member of the family, uh, from what we know. Um, you know, just the data we have, right, is that his whole purpose seems to be to try and curb this shadowy, unaccountable organization, which is manipulating the human race. And he's doing it by killing off essentially just different versions of himself. 
And from that perspective, Mr. Black seems much less sinister than when we thought he was like a random assassin that was just going around killing people, right? The fact that somehow they're part of him that he's killing off, and when they die, they don't really die, right? Those personalities all get absorbed back into the nexus and ultimately perhaps even into him. Like when he, you know, takes over Winkle, he um, absorbs Winkle, right? He doesn't destroy him. He, he, you know, he considers Winkle kind of a, a, a version of himself that he's absorbing back into himself. And um, similarly, when he kills the other two, and what's bizarre? Uh, see, that's what I, I didn't know. Up to this point, um, you missed that point. These people, these people were mm-hmm. not really. Um, you, you say they killed off some other. They didn't kill off part of themselves. Uh, the the family people, they were killed by black. You know, so then they. Uh, this is very complicated, right? I mean, nobody really dies, and then uh, well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that they, survive and, there's and there's, like there's that, two different kinds of killing that goes on here, yeah, like, yeah, you, right? Right, because one is when but, you but, kill you know, off a body. The family didn't kill themselves. But, but, but uh, no, the, not entirely. So the, well, no, what, the way that the other rebel rebel part of the family does it, but not this part. The, 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 so actually, the, there's two different things going on. That's worth trying to be precise about the terminology here because it it's what's fascinating about this story is that Mr. Black is killing off the bodies of these people, but their memories, their souls, whatever, they sort of go back to the nexus, right? So they're not, in that sense, they're not really lost, they're just sort of absorbed back into the, the collective. But then the uh, family of Angelo De Negri, the line, the clones, they do this thing that they themselves call partial suicide, which, you know, old yeah. land at least was a little bit snippy about it and said, like, you know, hey, you're calling Mr. Black a murderer, but you kind of killed me off by, yeah, you know, right. banishing me into a pin. And, you know, one could argue that killing off a body is less violent to the family than the act of stuffing somebody back into a pin. Um, Wasn't Yengel killed by Black? Black? Yeah, so, so what happened was this first land and then yeah. Engel. And um, yeah. were killed. Their bodies were killed by black. Yeah. But then Carib, he uh. his his job, his what he was supposed to do was to then complete the job of erasing those old personalities of Engel and Lange, and shoving them into Pin Eight, and him becoming Version Nine, right? So he, in some sense, was going to do to the souls of Lange and Engel what Black did to the bodies. Um, and so it's an interesting, um, you know, it's an interesting philosophical question. Uh, is one actually worse than the other? And, you know, I think it's fair to say that they are at least in some sense comparable. And so it's not, you know, easy to say that if we look just at what the uh, descendants of Angelo Negri are doing to each other, it's not uh, obvious it's no longer obvious who's a good guy or who's a bad guy because right. the rules get all sort of twisted up. The other yeah. thing that's fascinating, which is a little disturbing, but I may as well go with it because it, it, it um, um, has some interesting theological implications. And I don't know what to make of it, but I just want to throw it out there as a, as a wonder. Is that in some ways, when Black would, took over Winkle and then killed the other two, he was like 
they weren't really gone because they were sort of being absorbed into him, right? They just lost their autonomy of having their own bodies. They got so absorbed into Winkle or they got absorbed into uh, Winter? It seems like they, it's a good question. The trauma seems to have been shared. Um, it's, um, Maybe it'll come the, back to the next chapter. I don't know. But, yeah, it's, but, it's, it's, but the, uh, he felt them. He felt those people die. He dying. felt their death. Yeah, that means, you know, usually before, whenever a clone died, he absorbed, they came absorbed into him. Okay, yeah, here he says, yeah. Uh, um, what did they talk about? Um, good old black Mr. Black just murdered two more people. Um, yeah. Whether he got all of their memories, I don't know. It's a good question, actually. They, they may have both felt the trauma there. So it was an interesting thing, how much he... Um, so he certainly knew enough to know who it was who had died, Gene Jenkins and... Um, oh, I mean, so yeah, the it's, next it's, chapter, we probably will know. Yeah. We, we may, yeah. We, so once we, once we they get, get the wing done. Yeah, we get... Um, we get some answers. We don't necessarily get all the details, but it'll be interesting to see. The but there's well, he a probably won't give all the answers till the last chapter. But but you know there's something. Um, hmm. Since we're talking about the Old Testament and how God you know judges and condemns various people to death and takes an active hand in killing people, you know it's a at least makes me think about it a little bit differently. Like I hmm. tended to when I grew up, I had a, 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 what I now consider kind of a a very separate idea of God, as if, mm. where that like God was like this being out there and we were here and we were all very separate. And mm. there was no, uh, uh, but now my vision is more sort of uh, that God permeates the universe, right? Mm. That God experiences every flower, every sparrow more fully than those flowers and sparrows experience themselves, right? Not so mm. much from the outside, you know, from the outside as well. He's not embedded in the universe but the universe is embedded inside of god right mm -hmm. that god knows everything like he knows our body and from that point mm -hmm. of view you could say well in some sense he also knows me better than i know myself i mean we say that in our theology right, right. that god knows everything about us and one yeah. way of interpreting that is that god experiences everything i'm experiencing even more deeply than i do uh, mm -hmm. you know because i can you know, deaden myself to my surroundings and my body, but in some sense, because God is in every atom, he knows everything mm. in there. And in some sense, when my body dies, um, that, that experience isn't lost. It is still somehow captured in the memory of God. Now, how that plays with hell and all that, I can't even imagine. Um, right. But it's an interesting perspective in that, you know, when we thought of Black as this external murderer, he seemed a very mm -hmm. sinister figure. But when he's sort of part of the body and he's pruning it and he's pruning himself, it's a very different, I mean, it's not necessarily less violent and maybe not even less evil, but it's less impersonal, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference between uh, what a man does to a stranger and what he does to his own family and what he does to his own body. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in, in the Bible, you know, Christ commands husbands to love your wives as you love a, a love your own body, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is that, you know, all the descendants of, of Angelo, they are committed to this very sort of violent pruning of their own self, 
Mm. And there's something horrific about it, but also something admirable about it. Like one of the movies I watched was this guy, uh, Free Solo, who basically did a solo free climb of El Capitan, the largest uh, sheer yeah. cliff in nature. And right. like what he does to his body uh, is excruciating. Um, right. And the amount they say it's like running a, doing a gold medal Olympic uh, event. Um, and if you uh, get second place, you die, right? Because you have to do everything perfectly <laughs> up the entire yeah. cliff face. And, and right. like the impact on, on his friends who are filming it, on his girlfriend, like it, it consumes his whole life and defines everything mm. about him and could literally kill him. And mm. part of it, you're kind of horrified that a man would take these risks. But there's mm. also something, you know, deeply admirable and extraordinarily human about it, right? He feels like this is kind of an epitome of humanity in some sense, mm. pushing himself yeah. to these extreme limits and sacrificing yeah. all these things, I mean, risking even more. And mm. there's something about Angelo's quest that is that sort of extreme humanity. And it makes me think about God almost like, in a, like, in a, like a high endurance athlete. He puts his body uh, whether you talk about Christ or the church or all of humanity through this sort of excruciating training. And there's something horrifying about it, but there's also something admirable about, admirable about it that seems like it gets to something profound about what it means to be human. Mm. And that, that in fact is in sense the greatest uh, criticism you could give to Angelo's project is that he's trying to treat humanity like children. He's infantilizing them. He's mm. like, I, he's becoming the adult and they're becoming the kids. And mm. he wants to keep humanity as children and not let them grow up and face difficult dangers and take well, risks and I find mean, their own I glory. Don't want to, I don't want to extend that too much because then we're talking about that. I don't think so. I think he wants them to grow up to be better people, better adults. I don't think he's treating them as children. He's wanting he, to be adults with adults with better qualities, better character. So that's an interesting question, right? Because to me, yeah. the very well, fact because they are that black is operating like, in the... Like children. Well, I don't know about children. But, children are so dependent on people. He doesn't want them to be dependent. He just wants them to be getting along with each other and other things, which is as adults. Is, right, but there's, there's, there's two things that make... So he, he wants them to be a particular kind of adult, let's say, okay? But there's two things that he is forbidding them. One is that he is forbidding them knowledge of his own existence and his own agenda, right? But he works only in the shadows. He subverts people he thinks are, are gonna destroy his agenda, right? Like he did to Glenda's father, right? So he's not treating them like adults. He's not telling them the full story, right? And secondly, He's also um, set the boundary of the house. It's like, okay, whatever you do within the house, uh, I'm okay with. But if you ever talk about leaving the house, I'm going to traumatize you so you don't even have those thoughts again. So maybe that we'll sense... talk about that part because you know, I mean, he, here there's a hint there. Glenda and uh, Winton talking. He says we'll allow them to go once they've reached a certain level of maturity. Right, but that the, well, that's the question what, I mean, is what, that's what who, who, he's who, saying. At least he said that. Right, but he's, he's but right, but but yeah, but the idea is that the Glenda's counterclaim is that yes, 
but you only have done that. The only way that they will, you will consider humanity safe enough to leave the house is that they've adapted perfectly to living in the house. They've shown that they can live here without any antisocial you know, behavior yeah. is going to cause problems. But her yeah. claim is that when you've done that, you'll precisely remove that part of humanity that would allow them to explore and conquer new worlds, right? Is that you would have, her claim is that in order to make someone perfectly suited to society, you would have destroyed their capacity for individuality. Well, I mean, that, I don't that's her claim. But right, you can, be, you can they, do other things. You can do other things, even interplanetary travel and all this other stuff you can do, still do, and still live together in harmony. That's what they're aiming at. So I don't agree with that particular statement that you're saying. But, but again, precisely, I think we'll end with precisely what Winton says. Well, this is mm. a matter of interpretation, so we can't really yeah. resolve it by argument. Right. right. Um, mm. And and that's the interesting thing is like, you know, the, and it's not like you can't, um, you know, the, the, the reality is that um, we don't know how to make people live together, you know, peace, completely peacefully. Right. And we do know that there, there do seem to be different degrees of civilization that human beings have been able to function in, right? There's, you know, hunter-gatherer, small tribes of hundreds, uh, hundred people or so, who, you know, and then there've been different levels of aggregation into societies and civilizations and economies and things like that. Yeah. And we don't know, you know, we can get, we, we know we've been able to reduce some dimensions of violence, um, but often at the price of other dimensions of anxiety and stress, yeah. right? Uh, and we don't really know what the trade-offs are. So we can believe that certain things are possible or not possible, but it's hard to, you, you know, you, you know, there's so many contrary, contradictory facts that like, it is really about, you choose to say, well, I choose to look at these facts and believe that these things are true. Uh, but you say, but then you're ignoring all the other facts. Well, I think those are irrelevant. Well, it's like that this is, uh, this is why we have these imponderable revelations where you can't, uh, there's no, out, this is the, the problem that you have in this world here is that Black is literally arguing with himself <laughs> and there is nothing outside yeah. of themselves to which they can appeal, right? They don't really have any transcendent deity or scripture that seems to do them any good. Whatever they have is sort of just another wing of the house, the little chapels in the basement. And... Um, the interesting no, again, thing about the story I mean, is, I mean, I, yeah. again, the story is not ended yet. So I, yeah. I think I'll wait. Some of this uh, discussion should be after we are done with the book. And then yeah. go back and, and reference it, back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because I don't the, know how the story is going to end. Uh, now that we see there's a big twist here, there's a biggest twist here that mm -hmm. both of them are from the same model. The clones, yeah. Both of them from clones of the same person. Yeah. So that's the big, biggest uh, revelation. We don't know what other twist he has, so we'll have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. This may be premature. All right. So come to conclusions. Okay, Ma. Yeah, there's no conclusions. <laughs> I think we've highlighted a lot of the issues. And, yeah. Uh, this has okay. been great. Now, Thank you so much for walking this journey with me. Okay. And uh, you didn't answer my question. That uh, other July 18th thing. Do you want me and Mom? I would love to have you there. I, 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 yeah, I would. I would love to have you guys join. 
uh, but you can look mm. it into side factors. Like I don't like the last time I deliberately set it up because I wanted you there. This one yeah. I don't feel the same. Like I'm not doing this for your sake. So you don't have an obligation to do it, uh, but I still okay. would love to have you participate. You guys are free next Sunday, the 18th, uh, between 2 and 4 p.m. Pacific, which will be 4 to 6 p.m. your time. Okay. We'll try and keep it a little uh, shorter. We'll see. Okay. Okay, Mom. I'll talk to Mom. All right. Okay. The kids can call us tomorrow if they want. Oh, well, Ron's on vacation. He's at the youth group trip, so we dropped him off this morning. Ah, okay. Where do they go? Uh, they're going off to a cabin in uh, near Sacramento where it's like 104 degrees by a lake, so... Oh, okay. Will it be similar to the men's uh, retreat that we went? No, it's just a, it's, it's just a, it's, I think it's more like just you know there's like four kids going on a, into a cabin somewhere. So. Oh, okay, okay. So okay, okay. Pretty low key. Oh, okay. Imagine okay, well, having some time with two adults. Anybody wants to call, so. she can call Lachi. Yeah, she can call Lachi if she wants. Yeah, we have a, we have okay. like a bunch of parties and movies we're going to tomorrow, okay. so I'm not sure when we'll okay. have time, but okay. maybe in the morning actually she might be free. I'll tell her. Okay. All right, Ma. All Thank right. You. I love you. I love Thank you, you Dad. God bless you. Love you too. Okay. Bye bye. Love you. Bye bye.